California has passed a series of legislation to make it easier to add an accessory dwelling unit to an existing property. So the idea is to increase the density by adding more housing on existing infill plots of land. So they can be between 400 and 1200 square feet, which is like up to a three or four bedroom. You can add multiple ADUs in some cases, like if you're on a multifamily property, like a duplex, or even if you have a small multifamily property that has, let's say, some garage bays, you can convert those into accessory dwelling units. So folks are doing this either for a family member or for rental income. So we see oh. folks doing this where they want their parents to come age in place, to be close to their grandchildren. They'll build an ADU for them after they retire. Or maybe it's for a younger couple who can't afford the housing market. Many mm. of our projects are in coastal areas where even a starter home is more than a million dollars. So mm. it's another option that people are looking at. And meanwhile, the state is promoting it to add housing inventory to help address the housing shortage. Welcome to Super Entrepreneurs Podcast. Today, we have with us Whitney Hill. Whitney is a co-founder and head of business operations at Snap ADU, a design-build residential construction company that builds accessory dwelling units. Whitney also has a decade of experience working as a management consultant at Bain and Company. Welcome to our show, Whitney. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. That's great to have you. Whitney, can you share with us the story of how you started this company? Yeah, I'd love to. So yeah. it was working at the time in 20, 2020, actually, on a flip business, fix and flips. And I was oh, partnering with a contractor on the East Coast where I used to live. And at the same time, though, I'd moved to California I was looking for an opportunity out here in real estate and heard about accessory dwelling units, which are small homes on existing residential properties. Mm. I was excited to get involved in that. So I was working in a coffee shop and overheard two people talking about ADUs, as they're called. And I thought, I need to go talk to those people about this. If I'm going to try to get in yeah. the space, but I'm an introvert and I didn't get up and talk to them. And I'm sitting there, oh man, I missed my shot. 30 minutes later, they walked back by. So I took that as my side. I stood up and walked over and introduced myself. And one of those gentlemen ended up introducing me to my co-founder, Mike Moore, who had a background in construction, was running a smaller construction company himself looking to get into accessory dwelling units. So we had the same vision, even though we had extremely different backgrounds. And our skill sets allowed us to very quickly focus and scale to become Snap ADU. Cool. So for listeners who may not be familiar with the concept, can you explain to us accessory dwelling unit and what it is and why it's becoming more popular? Absolutely. So mm -hmm. there is a massive housing shortage in dense areas like Southern California, Bay Area, and of course, other areas across the country. At a state level, though, California has passed a series of legislation to make it easier to add an accessory dwelling unit to an existing property. So the idea is to increase the density by adding more housing on existing infill plots of land. 
So they can be between 400 and 1200 square feet, which is like up to a three or four bedroom. You can add multiple ADUs in some cases, like if you're on a multifamily property, like a duplex, or even if you have a small multifamily property that has, let's say some garage bays, you can convert those into accessory dwelling units. So folks are doing this either for a family member or for rental income. So we see oh. folks doing this where they want their parents to come age in place, to be close to grand to their grandchildren. They'll build an ADU for them after they retire. Or maybe it's for a younger couple who can't afford the housing market. Many mm. of our projects are in coastal areas where even a starter home is more than a million dollars. So it's a, mm. it's another option that people are looking at. And meanwhile, the state is promoting it to add housing inventory to help address the housing shortage. Mm. And what's the range per square footage for the expense to set one up? Yes. So the smaller units are quite expensive because you still have a full kitchen. You're still doing all the site oh, work. Okay. You're mobilizing all the same trades. The bigger As you get, you the cheaper for it gets. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It is just a small house. It still needs to be permitted and have a set of plans. Mm -hmm. For the larger units that are more like 1,200 square feet, the all-in cost with plans, permits, site work, the building itself, going to be like in the $300 range per square foot. But as you get okay. smaller, let's say you're building just a 500 square foot one bedroom, you're going to be closer to $500 a square foot. Um, oh, so the smaller more. units are more costly. There are other options as far as construction. So modular is something that we see for the smaller units. If you can fit a unit that is already ready off the shelf on your property and just have it craned in, it can be an amazing option. Our business is more focused on the larger units or the properties that are more complex that would not fit that kind of a profile. But there are lots of regional companies offering modular options for ADUs as well. That one point you made for a lot of people, it may be difficult to get into the housing market. This is a very easy way to, to start a family. They can just create this ADU on their property with their family and have that privacy at the same time. Absolutely. And it's allowing families to access school districts that they wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. When you're adding a unit that can be rented out to a family, they're able to access something they couldn't have. Or we see some families adding ADUs to, to create cash flow so they can stay on their own property. So sometimes you might have a family downsize into the ADU and rent out the main house for income. So there's lots of different configurations yeah, that it true. may change over time. Yeah. That's true. Have you seen an incline? It is getting more popular, but when did that transition begin? Transition began really in late 2019 when some of the more important laws were passed that mm -hmm. did things like reduced the setback requirements. So you at a state level could put an accessory dwelling unit within four feet of the side and rear setbacks, and there's no minimum lot size which meant that mm -hmm. many more properties could now add these. The other important piece was to reduce impact fees. ADUs that are below 750 square feet aren't subject to a lot of those same fees that like a primary home would be. So it might have cost $30,000, $40,000 to permit an ADU prior to 2019, as we're now oh. it might be more like $10,000, something in that neighborhood. So that made it much more appealing. And it's funny, if you look at the Google Trends data for a search term where you can see how it did over time, you can split that by geography. And if you look at ADU as a search term in California, you can see that inflection point in 2019, where now the awareness is much higher. And you look at it at the national level, and it's still flat. 
But right now, there's many other states that have this in the works. New York is looking at it. Places mm -hmm. Austin and Denver and Portland have are all looking at this as well. So we're seeing it get more traction nationally, also as funding is becoming more readily available. There was a White House press conference on it last spring about how Fannie and Freddie were going to start making loan products that would allow for income from accessory dwelling units to be counted in the loan calculations, oh, cool. which makes it much more appealing for folks when there's better yeah. financing available. For sure. It made a big difference. And what about the address? How would it work? It gets its own address. So it's typically two numbers oh. up or down from the primary. Mm. And actually in some areas like Portland, you can have a condo situation where you can sell off the accessory dwelling unit. So to conform hey. to the condo rights and everything for that common space of the yard, you can actually sell them separately there. You can't do that in California yet, but we've actually been trying to get that passed in the state legislation because it would have different exit options for someone who's adding an accessory dwelling unit. Because right now you can't sell them separately. Are you guys going to expand to other states? We may. So the secret to our success thus far, though, has been getting really good at our geography. And we found that there's mm. a lot of scale benefit to that. One, the awareness from things like our yard signs, our trucks really helps to be more concentrated. Also, just in greater San Diego, we deal with about 15 different jurisdictions, and each one of those cities has their own take on ADUs. The state passed the law that's the floor, if you will, of what must be allowed, but each city has their own different set of requirements layered on top of that. So for us to get very versed in that has taken some time as well. And then lastly, mm. in general contracting, the subcontractor base is historically very regional, very local. So if we were to expand, we would need to invest heavily in building out a whole other network of subcontractors. For those reasons, we've oh. decided to get very strong in San Diego first. Good. I could see us yeah. in maybe the two to three year horizon, though, taking this model and translating it to other areas. Uh, one last mm. comment I'll make about geography. Yeah. The other reason it's been important that we've gotten so specialized here is that 70% of our leads come from organic search. And most of that is is localized. It's people searching in things like San Diego ADU or Chula Vista ADU. And since almost all of our content is focused around those geographies, we perform very well on those search terms. So that's another thing we'd have mm. to spin up in another that's area good. is a whole other set of marketing pages, if you will, on those different geographies. Mm. So what sets you guys apart from other companies in the same industry? I think the biggest difference is that we are fully integrated. We have design, permit, and build all on our staff. And typically you'll see construction companies outsourcing the design, outsourcing the permitting, which means there's a bit more of a delay in the feedback that comes between the two groups. So since we have that all in-house, we've been able to learn very quickly from what's actually happening when we go to build these things in the field, and then we fix it for our next client. The other thing that sets us apart is that we've really designed this to be a repeatable process. We think of it as more of a product that we're offering rather than just a service. And that goes along with how we're offering standard plans that clients can pick from, tweak them, make them their own, but it gives us a starting place for some standardization that allows us to move more quickly, to quote prices more readily, to get fixed pricing with our subcontractors. So I think that process orientation really makes our company stand out as well. So if there's an entrepreneur in the audience that has construction background and they are interested to get into this business, do you have any advice for them? You pick a very specific niche. So when we started out, we just said, let's do ADUs, only ADUs, which to someone who doesn't know much would maybe sound very focused. 
but there mm. are ADU conversions where you're messing with existing space and turning it into one okay. versus a detached ADU that is all new construction, different geographies like we talked about. So pick your geography and also pick your, your asset type very specifically. You can always expand from there later, but if you pick something to become an expert in, you're going to quickly have a way to distinguish yourself from the others in your field, become an expert there, and then decide how you're going to grow. Excellent. And you must deal with contractors. You must deal with a bunch of different variables in the industry. How do you manage it as an entrepreneur? It's been hard. We actually, my co-founder and I met the day that COVID was shutting down California back oh, in March no of 2020. Yeah. yeah, it was incredible timing. What if we hadn't taken that coffee? So we <laughs> built the whole business to, to function in a remote sense. But then over time, we've had to also do all the supply chain issues that came up over the last few years, the inflation from last year. So how do we deal with it? We've gotten better and better at at actually using the data we're collecting. But that all starts with setting up a system that's going to allow you to track that. And even if you don't know exactly what you're going to do with it now, know that you will have a use for it once you've got enough of a sample size. So what we're able to do is take our information on how many ADUs are we going to be building? What's the demand going to look like? And we were able to use that with our subcontractors to start projecting out what that demand would be, getting pricing with them that would help us offer some predictability for our clients. So we've really leaned into using our advantage, which is just simply having more ADUs built than anyone else to help yeah. us better predict what's going to happen. But at the end of the day, we've had to take on some risk for our homeowners. Folks weren't willing to sign a contract because the interest rates were all over the place. Yeah. So we had to take a bit of a leap of faith in our own calculations and offer a price lock for six months, even though our subcontractors in all cases weren't doing that. So we had to take on the risk of that just to get these jobs moving. So we've had to make some calculated decisions that that were a bit of a gamble. But at the at the time, we decided that was an important step to keep business moving in the face of some really interesting challenges in the market. Hmm, interesting. How do you handle stress in your business as an entrepreneur? <laughs> because it seems very busy. It is very busy. I would say one way we handle stress is when you're an entrepreneur, you have so many ideas and there's only so mm. much time in the day. So we really heavily rely on Asana to take all of our tasks and help oh, us yes. uh, organize, sort them. And we love mm. it because it's become yeah. our collective consciousness. So even if we have <laughs> a fantastic idea, you have somewhere to park it and either assign it to someone to start working on it or to delay it till a later, a later time. So that's actually taken away some of the stress because I think a lot of us hold that when we don't have an organized approach to our own work. So when you're able to really just look at a little part of your to-do list, like what have I decided is important enough for today, for this week, for next week, it really helps you take a stock of everything on the list and give yourself permission not to stress about the rest of it. Good. Can you share some lessons you have learned growing this successful company? <laughs> so many lessons. Which one can I start with? Yeah, Just um, something that will... pops up. Yes. One that pops up, know what kind of employee will thrive in the company where you are in your own growth story. So for us, we hired a couple of very junior employees who are just very new to the, to the workforce in general. So our mistake in that was that we did not have the bandwidth to appropriately train them on just the basics of 
how you are successful at work. So we were trying to train them on everything about our own company and about construction, in addition to them just not really having some basics. Now we know that folks need to have really a decade of work experience to come in and thrive in this environment because we have about 15 or 16 employees and there's so much growth and evolution happening that if you don't have some prior experience to draw from, it's really difficult for it to be a good experience. So we definitely learned that the hard way. That's a good lesson though. It's it really was. Lesson. As long as you're actually growing still. So it's a good lesson to keep with you. For sure. Yeah. Are you involved with personal development, mindset stuff? Do you work on that for yourself to grow your business? Yes. And we're trying to work on it more with our whole company. We actually mm. brought on a former colleague of mine from Bain & Company who is filling a chief of staff role, so to speak. So we're always advancing those kind of development efforts, both as far as personal development, like you said, and also making sure that there's clarity on as a company, what's the vision, yes. what's the mentality. So things like, how are we going from a cover your ass culture <laughs> to a client service culture? which is very different, right? When we were first growing, it was all about, like, do we have the right contracts in place? Do we have the process and system? Now all that's there. Now, how is it something that the clients feel good about telling their friends and family about? It's a very different kind of mentality. But as far as our personal development, yes, that's also something where we have every six weeks or so a training session that's optional, that's on more of a growth topic. It might be on how to manage your task list, like we just talked about, like how to organize your day, time management sort of thing. Mm. Might be on mm, leadership good. and tips from a more advanced team member. So we try mm. to keep ourselves accountable by having a cadence for that kind of thing. Mm. How many employees? Sorry, I don't know if I asked this. We have 15 employees. 15. That's good. You're growing. When we you started are growing. Off with, how many did you have when you first started? When we first started, so Mike had five people on his team. So we've pretty much doubled our workforce. So mostly what he had were our superintendents who are actually like managing pieces out in the field and then one project manager. So we've added to that all of the sales, design and permitting functions. So most of the folks that we have brought on have been office roles. That's double growth. You can see when a company grows, the employees, they're a company, the people, it's not the brick or the mortar, it's actual people, the human beings. And when you include more staff and more talent in your organization, it just proves that you're growing. Totally. And what we're proud of though, is while we have approximately doubled that workforce, our throughput in the number of jobs has gone up by something like eightfold. So when I met Mike mm. doing six or seven projects a year, a million and a half of revenue, right now we have 48 live projects and our annual revenue is around 15 million. So we were Amazing. able to scale up massively in the operation without adding a commensurate amount of headcount, which tells me that we did a good job with our processes and automation. That's excellent. Great work, Whitney. Can you share with us Thank what you. you feel your innermost superpower is that got you to this point in your life? Oh, yeah. I would definitely say it's making the most of data. I've always loved Excel. I remember when I first saw it at age 14, <laughs> I was very into it. But the reason that's been important in my career is that I'm very quickly able to create some kind of an advantage beyond everyone else in the room 
who's not either willing or able to go into the detail. And when you're at a, an owner level, you can't do that all the mm-hmm. time. But knowing when to strategically go into the nitty gritty has been very important. So learning the accessory dwelling unit regulations was pivotal, building out our whole infrastructure of the processes and systems that our team is using very much in the weeds on all of that. And to be able to pivot between the strategic part of it, knowing where that needs to go, but also being able to implement and then tell someone else how to keep implementing, that's definitely been my superpower. Thank you so much, Whitney, and appreciate you joining us today, sharing your message and sharing all the wonderful things that you guys are doing. I'm sure you're going to be serving and helping many people to come. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you being here. Yeah, no problem. And also appreciate that you agreed to help us promote your episode on your network as well. That really helps us make a bigger impact. So appreciate that as well. Yeah, we're excited to, for sure. Yeah, thank you. And audience, thank you once again for joining us for another episode. Whitney's information will be in the show notes. If you're looking at something like this or thought about it, or maybe you didn't even think about it as of yet, you always increase your awareness when you hear something new like this. There could be an opportunity where it could help with your mortgage or financial situation or anything else, or just even help someone in your community. It might be a good opportunity to look into this. Again, thank you for helping us grow. Appreciate you all. And thank you, Whitney. Thank you.